the dead speak. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode 31 of the Movie Marathoners podcast. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me again today are my friends Ian Anderson and David Malley. Ian is, of course, the former co-host of the podcast. Now he just slumbers away in Exegol, waiting for the time to rise again. David is from the Run Your Mouth podcast and probably the most knowledgeable Star Wars person I know in real life. So I'm maybe, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe you can tell me who the fuck Wedge is and why people care about that, because I've heard that on like uh, six different podcasts. I love Wedge. When Dennis Lawson showed up, that was the only fan service I didn't hate about this movie. <laughs> okay. Wow. Well, that's there's your preview of his review. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, how are you guys today? I'm amazing. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah it's uh, January 31st. Happy so. New Year. Nope, it's not. It's December 31st. <laughs> You're right. It is December 31st. It is almost uh, 2020, which is not a real date. So um, this is the last day of real life. This week, we are talking about Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. I say better late than never, right? Um, I was home for the weekends, or I was home for the holidays, so I didn't have a chance to sit down until now. So because this film has been out for about two weeks now and it's Star Wars, we are just going to assume that everybody has seen this already. Um, no one's going to be listening to this who hasn't seen the film. So we're just going to do full spoilers from the get go. So that is your spoiler warning for anything and everything Star Wars. And can I also just say that your apologies to your fans for being like a week late on an episode is... First of all, very nice, but also deeply offensive to me because I put out an episode recorded in November today. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> I, you know, I appreciate your commitment to staying relevant. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, and then at the end of this, we will conclude with our point two section where we talk about what else we've been watching, which is for today, The Mandalorian. So stick around for that if you want to hear about the uh, first Star Wars live action TV show. But first, let's read a synopsis of Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. This is this is <laughs> Stay the IMDb tuned for thirty summary. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> After Palpatine mysteriously returns, the Resistance faces the First Order once more in the final chapter of the Skywalker saga. The Rise of Skywalker stars Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, Oscar Isaacs, and John Boyega. It is written by Chris Terrio and J.J. Abrams, and it is also directed by J.J. Abrams. Taking one last look, sir, at my friends. 
Uh, it was also written by a couple dozen Reddit fan theories. <laughs> <laughs> Hold your horses, David. Uh, you know, it's basically impossible to talk about this film in a vacuum. Um, you know, considering this as an individual movie is really difficult. But for the first five minutes, I'm going to ask you guys to try and do that. So uh, let's just talk about your thoughts on episode nine as an individual film, regardless of the thoughts on The Last Jedi or how this ends the franchise. And then afterwards, we'll jump, you know, full into it. So, Ian, start us off. What did you think about the rise of Skywalker on its own terms? Yeah, well, if you think about this movie in a vacuum, nothing really makes sense. Like, who are these people? You know, <laughs> okay, well, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I know you mean. Um, it, yeah, as the, this movie just on its own, too much is going on in it. It just feels so so rushed. The the more I thought about it and the things that happened in the movie, the more I feel like this should have been its own trilogy. Like that, there was just so much pushed into it. And so much of it, I think, could have been really great, but you lose, you know, you could tell that they were that they were trying to get deeper into some characters' backstories, but they couldn't do that much because they were limited on time with how many characters they're introducing in this movie, how many characters they're having meet for the first time in this movie, and all of that. Uh, it was just a, a bit too much for me, I think. Okay, what would you rate it out of 10? 0.5, stick to 0.5, none of this 0.25 yeah, crap. So, so it was probably like 6.5. Okay. David, how about you? Short and sweet. What are your thoughts and ranking? Uh, it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed a lot of it. I didn't enjoy a lot of it. I really went into this movie wanting to have an open mind. Um, I try to pride myself on being a very positive Star Wars fan. I, 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 as a movie, <laughs> um, it was very hard to view it as a cohesive story or character arc. Um, I think it was really um, overstuffed. I actually disagree with Ian. I don't think it should be a trilogy. I think they should have just cut out a lot of the extraneous. Yeah, I'm not saying I movie. want a trilogy <laughs> yeah. of these movies, but there was yeah. enough st stuff in there that they yeah. could have done. And I did, and uh, there were many. I I feel like if I had editing tools, I could edit out a movie, a nine out of ten movie that I liked from the existing scenes in rise of skywalker wow uh on Bold the claim. whole as it was presented to me in the theaters i i, I think six to 6.5 is a lot i definitely need to see it again to like fully mm. process it i definitely want to like it more than i currently feel like i do yeah <laughs> okay yeah i think i'm similar to you guys i think this film is fine um, I think a lot of people hate this film, but I don't hate this film. I don't love it. Uh, it's a bit choppy in the way it's put together. I think there's some eye-rolly moments. I mean, all movies have eye-rolly moments. And there's a handful of things that, if you think about it for even a little bit, none of it makes sense. But I did, like David, I did have a lot of fun. I think, you know, like all the other Star Wars films in the Disney era, the film looks gorgeous. There mm -hmm. are some insane action sequences and shots. I think that Daisy Ridley is given a lot to do here, and I think her arc over the course of the three films... Okay, fine. I'm not supposed to talk about the other films, but even <laughs> in this film, I like what she has to do, and yeah. I think she does a good job with what she's given. And then I really enjoyed that Ray, Finn, and Poe were all together and doing an adventure together. Yeah, I agree. So that was fun. I liked Kylo Ren. I liked tracking his arc throughout this film. Um, I thought this was a solid sci-fi flick. Yeah. So I would give this 7.5 out of 10, something like that. Yeah. 
I guess something that I left out of my little short review is I was mostly criticizing it, but I did enjoy a lot of it. It's a fun movie. It's always fun to see Star Wars on screen, you know, see lightsaber fights and stuff like that. Yeah, so, so I, I think I love that. Ian, I saw you or I saw this before you and then instantly texted you afterwards being like, Ian, I need you to see this. Tell me what yeah, you think. Yeah. And the first second you got out of the, the theater, you texted me and you said you loved it. I did. Yeah. So walk me through how you got from I loved it to this. And now we can start moving into the scope of this. What was missing from this as a trilogy capper or a nine trilogy? I don't even know yeah. what you call that. Whatever. Um, I guess what you were saying about Ray, this this was like she she had the most to do in this movie. This was really her arc, I think, throughout these three movies. You didn't really see as much of the other characters. And I'm I've always been a huge fan of Ray and I was excited to see her on screen. And these are the first like Star Wars movies that I've seen in theaters. So I, I feel like even just that I it was gonna be pretty hard for me to go into this movie and come out not happy, you know? Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that I don't have like things that I didn't like about it. Like six point five, I think for, for me is it's it's still a solid movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, David. Yeah, um, I have a lot of notes for this movie. I don't know if like now would be a good time to sort of start talking about that, but I think there are a lot of like pretty simple changes you could make to this movie to make it a much better movie. Um, I do think. You know, I know we're sort of supposed to be talking about it in the background. No, no, vacuum, let's, uh, but, let's get yeah, over that I, now. I think one of the th- – so, uh, like, you texted Ian because I am, like, well-known among my friends as a Star Wars fan. I got a lot of people texting me saying, like, did you see it yet? Did you see it yet? Yeah. Um, and a lot of – what I said to a lot of people, which kind of, I think, encapsulated my feelings, was, like, it really emphasized how good The Last Jedi was. <laughs> um, because one of the things I – thought that Last Jedi did really effectively was it was cohesive both plot-wise and thematically. It was internally consistent. It stood alone really well as its own movie, Um, whereas this was a tonal thematic mess Mm -hmm. that had a lot of different ideas. I think it's funny listening to you read the IMDb synopsis was funny to me because I think part of the problem with this movie is... You could not in one sentence be like, what was the rise of Skywalker about? Like, there was so much of what happened in that movie that was not captured by that. Whereas I feel like episodes seven and eight and a lot of the other ones do have a lot going on, but have a general thrust that you can at least explain in one or two sentences. Yeah, well, I mean, from the get go, this movie is like, here's an information dump in the text crawl that I thought was going to be a big reveal. Yeah, right. The fact that Palpatine (laughs) is alive. And I don't know if you guys have read anything about people, you know, JJ saying Palpatine coming back was always the plan. This was always the plan. That's total horseshit. There's no way. That was completely just shoehorned into this movie mm-hmm. in order to bring this around to become Again, some sort somebody of Somebody had a Reddit fan theory and JJ was like, that's a good idea. <laughs> like, but, so <laughs> probably, but I think that touches on a whole bunch of interesting things about this. Just like thinking about this from just like a studio perspective is you get this billion dollar franchise and then you start a franchise without a roadmap. Mm-hmm. Like how did they... So, okay, here's the thing. Um, I'm not going to, you know that I'm not the biggest fan of Last Jedi. I know that you guys are much bigger fans of Last Jedi. Um, So, like, that doesn't really matter for this argument. But part of the thing that I thought was interesting about Last Jedi was that it 
took the Star Wars franchise in a new direction. Yeah. And in a starkly different direction than what The Force Awakens took it. And I'm not saying that's bad or good, but I'm saying that that is stupid for the studio to allow that if they are going to want to completely pivot yeah, again for sure. into back into this thing. So you have Force Awakens, which sets up all these things that they clearly didn't have um, solutions to. And then they were like, well, here, Ryan Johnson, just do whatever you want, yeah. which is great. But then you have to think about what that means for the future of the franchise. So I'm not blaming Ryan Johnson. I'm blaming Disney or Lucasfilms or whatever for not having some sort of central idea for what this franchise is. Yeah. And I think going off of that, like one of the big themes throughout this new trilogy has been, and all the trilogies, I guess, has been like the Jedi and these heroes like relationship with the Force and they really delved into that in Last Jedi with Luke and Rey and how, you know, the Force is, is not some, like, superpower. Well, then they they sort of changed that whole tone of the Force being like this and the Jedi being like this whole religious thing and spiritual thing. And they turned that whole feeling around in Rise of Skywalker and now it is a superpower. I think <laughs> I, I, I've apologized for not being able to credit this person, but I think I sent you guys this this tweet that I found that I think pretty much captured that where it was like, Ryan Johnson, the force is this intangible like energy bringing binding the world together. J.J. Abrams, the force is stored in the balls. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like I, I agree with that. I would actually before we move past it. um, this is the more I've thought about this, I'm like, am I being controversial for controversials, controversy's sake, or do I really believe this? And I really think I do. Um, I actually disagree with what a lot of people have said that they needed to have a more clear roadmap. I think that they actually, I think that's not the problem. I think the problem of Rise of Skywalker is that they felt so tied to this idea of we have to tie everything together in a cute little bow which was never the especially in the original trilogy i mean the classic like didn't know that luke and leia were twins reveal you know i would much rather have seen more freedom and i would rather see i think there are i think there are enough interconnections of you know this is ray's story this is kylo ren's story this is the narrative of the next generation that I actually would be much more comfortable with seeing, you know, three different directors' visions for what they want to do with Star Wars. I was actually, I liked Force Awakens a lot, but I was pretty bummed when they brought back J.J. Abrams just because I wanted to see someone else do something with the franchise. And I think um, one of the weird connections to this, which, uh, as you mentioned in the beginning of the episode, the dead speak um, it reminded me immediately of the opening of Spectre. I don't know if you've talked about Spectre on the podcast, but um, the like the first opening title card of Spectre is like the dead are alive. And it's like this weird, much like the opening of The Crawl, it's this weird half-realized concept that like gets established because it's the first thing you see, but then like doesn't really follow through in a cohesive way. And in the larger sense, the problem with a lot of the Daniel Craig, James Bond movies that I feel is that there's this artificial pressure to tie everything together really pl cohesively plot-wise. And again, I, I know I said this on the last episode, but it's the Marvel Marvelification of all modern movie franchises where everything has to be this overarching arc. Whereas I would much rather see really good, distinct movies um, rather than 
see a 23 part uh, narrative that all perfectly ties together in the end. Yeah. If, yeah. If you look at the old James Bond movies, nothing makes sense. Exactly. If you try to tie them together, whenever they try to, work. it's bad. <laughs> yeah. And so this idea that you have to create this artificial connection, I think, is this. And again, it's not just Marvel, but I think that because that's been such a dominant cultural force over the last decade, I think it has created this belief that like any sort of large franchise has to be has to have this through line. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas that's never been how franchise movie making has been done until very recently. Yeah. Um, and I would, uh, you know, and, and frankly, part of the th- issue is that like the Star Wars fanboys, if this was like a totally different movie, would be like, they didn't like have any cohesion. Like they should have planned out seven, eight, nine. But like, I would actually be pretty fine with that if all three movies were individually good. Yeah, I think that's fair. So to that, I will say though, then that again, just from a studio perspective though, because we are in this era, you don't have to do it, but it becomes very, very difficult to not do it. And I guess, I guess you're right. You're right. They they never had to say, hey, this is the concluding chapter of the Skywalker saga, but they did. Yeah. So then if that was the plan the whole time, I don't know why they didn't have a roadmap. Yeah. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying that they had to have a roadmap and they had to go this direction, but if they were going this direction, then they should have had a roadmap mm-hmm. um, to have some sort of cohesion. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and I think the better, more effective way to do that, and, and I would love to like... I mean, we never will get it, but like, I would love to be see the notes from like the planning meetings that like Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm are having at the beginning yeah. of this trilogy to know what they, because I think that there clearly was a roadmap in terms of characterizations, relationships, what they are and aren't allowed to do. I think actually one of the things that was well executed about this movie was making it quote unquote believable that Ray would feel a pull to the dark side well anyone who like is a person in the world and like understands how action figures work know that ray's gonna end up being like a good guy in the end yeah, right <laughs> um but i think they set up different scenarios like the chewy thing and the um the idea of like oh you would have to give into the dark side to save your friends and things like that that, that sort of made that stakes more grounded within the sort of larger kind of bookends of what you know kind of had to happen in the saga so I think that they did a pretty good job with things like that, um, more like broad strokes thematic things. And I think that one of the big criticisms of Kathleen Kennedy is that she like runs too tight a ship in terms of like having creative control over the individual movies. Whereas I feel like for better or worse, The Rise of Skywalker <laughs> was kind of a example of the fact that actually they do give a lot of control over story and execution to the individual filmmakers. Yeah, well, Whether like, that's a good or a bad thing, it's like remains to be seen. <laughs> sort of they do, right, though? I mean, so they, they allow people to come up with these ideas, but then these ideas have to apparently or evidently fit into some sort of... Well, no. So, I mean, so the, the weirdest thing to me is that you look at The Last Jedi and whatever you think about Last Jedi, whatever you think about that, how that influences the franchise is Ryan Johnson came up with some really creative and interesting ideas that stretched the limits on what we saw in the original trilogy and what we saw in The Force Awakens. And so if you are to allow that, then I don't understand why you hire J.J. Abrams back to say, okay, 
Um, that was fun. We're going to go back to this. <laughs> yeah, like let's completely course correct. Like not yeah. even kind of course correct. It is the the opening crawl is literally what if we are to if we're to say, hey, this is the Force <laughs> Awakens. Fuck the last Jedi yeah. was the opening crawl. Like, and so, that's and I think that's part of the problem that you know I think that we talked about this a little off the air, but Solo not making a lot of money. And Last right. Jedi, I think, having a very mixed fan response, frankly, I think just scared the hell out of them. And, you know, you have to essentially hedge your bets investment-wise and say, like, not to be totally cynical, I think there are a lot of filmmakers and people involved creatively with the Star Wars franchise who really care about it and care about putting out a good yeah, of course. art. Yeah, nobody intentionally but, yeah, makes no, bad yeah, yeah, movies. But the, that yeah. being said, I do think that there are you know, powers that be saying, you guys got to be careful and this movie has got to make a billion dollars, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and <laughs> I think that that was that the panic caused by The Last Jedi and Solo rang true loud and clear in the way that Rise of Skywalker was executed. Yeah. And I mean, certainly even in just the opening crawl, because if you were to have like, let's say, and this is sort of a dumb way to think, but let's say you have The Force Awakens and you have the rise of Skywalker, then that middle part should be finding out that Palpatine is still around and he's the one behind Snoke and basically everything that you find out in the first 30 minutes of this movie. So it just feels weird. Um, It doesn't make me like appreciate the last Jedi anymore or anything like that, but it just does. I don't know if you guys remember when I was talking about this, that you thought that there was going to be a whole bunch in last Jedi that made felt like it was more cohesive Yep. After this movie, yeah, it didn't. yeah, you were fucking wrong. I was, yeah. I mean, it was hopeful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, but so it just does make that movie, for whatever you think of it, feel completely disconnected, disconnected yeah. from seven and nine, yeah, and that is because JJ did both of those. So it, it just it makes for a very weird trilogy, mm-hmm. and then it makes it so that nine is trying to do the course correcting, and then also be a trilogy capper and a nine series saga yeah. capper, and yeah. it doesn't make any sense yeah, to me. Yeah, it's way too much. And and part of why I think in a weird way this the rise of Skywalker and I think uh Peter Travers who is who's Rolling Stone's main movie film critic yeah. who I generally very much enjoy his opinions. He had a good review of it where he said it was like the perfectly imperfect finale to this Star Wars saga where it's like I actually appreciated the fact that the way I enjoy Star Wars is this kind of like macro thing where like I like that the prequels are part of it and that like people have disagreements and that there is like, I love that's part of the whole experience of being a star Wars fan. Right. And in a weird way, I feel like this, the rise of Skywalker perfectly echoed return of the Jedi in the same way that empire and a new hope echoed uh, the first two in the trilogy where it's like grounded world building set up mostly clear story in the first movie in the trilogy, dark character study, creatively handed off to someone else primarily second chapter of the story kind of messy kind of campy uh people pleaser weird finale to the saga and there's even the third. In it. like yeah it's like <laughs> i felt like they in a weird way like very much delivered on the promise of this trilogy fully echoing the first trilogy in that like return of the jedi is a uh, flawed but ultimately enjoyable movie <laughs> and I think that they delivered on that well <laughs> yeah <laughs> one more thing before moving on to this kind of like macro look at the trilogy 
David, I mean, you know that Ian and I are huge MCU fans and Endgame fans. I'm not going to like defend that yeah. or I don't need to defend their success. But you can't deny that by every metric, the Endgame was a film that was successful by being the result of a well thought out plan. And so that like looking back on that film after this film makes me kind of appreciate Endgame a little more, but also makes me realize like why Lucas or makes me wonder why Lucasfilm didn't do something similar to that. And to me, The Last Jedi was almost like letting James Gunn in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 just kill Thanos. And it doesn't make sense to me that they would let him do that, regardless of whether it was a good decision or not. Like just from a studio perspective, it doesn't make sense to me. Like this was just such a mess and sloppily handled property. So when you when you like say that it's like James Gunn killing off Thanos, are you saying like Snoke when he was killed? No. So I'm saying that it would be like if they were like, well, we're going to lay down these things and we don't actually really care oh, what Thanos you're, has you're to do. Saying okay, handing the keys to the car to a director to really make significant plot-based decisions. Yeah. Yeah, okay. See, I see I would say I would look at the same exact thing and take the exact like opposite conclusion, which is that like Marvel really successfully did what it wanted to do, but I never wanted Star Wars to be that. I would say that like I really appreciated the sequels as this new and different visioning of what Star Wars is and could be and and part mm-hmm. of why yeah, I fair. think I like bought into the sequels is cuz I never had the expectation going in that they were something that was additive or completist about this idea of like these nine movies all have to be presented as a nanology like I was kind of like oh it's awesome nice. nanology yeah but like I was kind of much more viewed these things and I think it makes it easier to like new things <laughs> when you're not like <laughs> oh these have to like fit in the existing box even though the box was not made for them in the first place and I would much rather I'm really glad they made the sequel trilogy because I like a lot of what they did with them but I almost moving forward would love just and and we'll probably get to this when we talk about The Mandalorian one of the things I like about The Mandalorian is it's this fully contained story in the Star Wars universe Mm -hmm. I very much love the idea that they can just go in different directions and tell this wide breadth of stories rather than saying we have to tie everything together in a beautiful way. Yeah, I mean, so in response to that, I would say then I find it weird that they still fixate so heavily on Han Solo and Luke Skywalker and Leia in this new trilogy. Like, to me, that is saying, hey, we, like, it's almost they want to have their cake and eat it too. Like, they want to have all that old stuff and they want to say, here, this is the continuation of these characters. Mm-hmm. And to me, that means that then this trilogy does have to somehow tie up or if they're going to claim that it does, which they did, Mm -hmm. then it does have to tie it up. I think if it was more like, well, let's use the first film to introduce Ray and uh, John Boyega, what is his name, Finn and Poe, and then in The Last Jedi and in Rise of Skywalker or whatever we would get, it would not be called Rise of Skywalker, obviously, then we would have a more contained story about those guys. I thought that would work better. But like from the two films, like as much as Last Jedi does change course or like change the course of the Star Wars mm-hmm. franchise, it does still heavily rely on the past. It says let the past die, but it does take those characters to a new place. And one of the central things is how is this affecting Luke? Yeah. Um, so I see what you're saying. I just I'm just trying to explain why maybe I would expect it to be yeah. kind of a and trilogy. I would, and I would say 
my answer to that is that I think, uh, well, so we can go into sort of like, two, I think two of my main notes for this movie, one of which could easily be changed, one of which not so much. I would say cut the Palpatine thing entirely. Like, I think well, there's yeah, no yeah. reason to have that in there. Um, they're easy, If they wanted to bring back a villain, they easily could have done the same concept. Snoke somehow has future lives and comes back and is pulling the strings all along. And I think it actually really cheapens Ray's overarching narrative that Ryan Johnson, I think, really perfectly set up, where... To me, it is a much more interesting story when they talk about like the Force dyad and how like Ray and Ben Solo are like connected in this like in perfectly you know equally matched way. Like to me, conceptually, it's a much more interesting story to say Ben Solo, like Prince of the Skywalkers, this kind of like chosen one figure who's always who who is the continuation of the saga, is fully matched by this person who's nobody and that is a and to have him then sacrifice himself and hand the reins off to her who is not connected to any of this in the first place like to me that is the beautiful marriage of those two concepts and that them being this yin and yang tied together i think is really uh like a great way to both like thematically and substantively present this as a sequel trilogy that moves us forward but when she's a Palpatine, it's just essentially like this Montague Capulet, like these two warring families constantly having these intergenerational battles. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, again, that's one of those things that The Last Jedi sort of set up. Yeah. Like it, right. They, they were like, okay, so now it's going to be it's going to be Rey and it's going to be Kylo. It's going to be like their connection. Kylo is now supreme leader. It's going to be Rey leading the resistance against him. And then. And then that's not. What and then I know. I mean, I, I'll yeah. say that this film definitely does continue the like everything about the force connection between Kylo and Rey was the Last Jedi. So that is like the one thing in the Last Jedi that is continued. But it makes it way cooler when sure when like, he's like he's that, the focus. Like, like, the Skywalker uh, heir gives himself up for the nobody at the end of the movie. Like to me, that like is a way cooler premise. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah no, I, I think I, that's fair. I just think that they. Made it, made it seem like, you know, Palpatine wasn't going to be a thing and it was going to be, you know, just Kylo that we were going to focus on as the antagonist. Well, and frankly, another reason why I'm like cut Palpatine is because like the appeal of him coming back was like, I wanted like crazy Ian McDermott, Revenge of the Sith, like campy, <laughs> insane line readings. And we didn't even really get that in the rise of Skywalker. Say, do it again now. Yeah, like yeah. I, it's like if you're gonna bring back Palpatine, bring back like the fun parts of Palpatine, and that I one of the things I will say is like the whole third act of the movie was just like overstuffed CGI. Yeah. Like a, like horrible. I would say ninety percent of my <laughs> issues with this movie were in the third act, huh. and it was like like I think the Endor fight between like Ray and. Kylo Ren was like really well done and oh, brought that. the movie to yeah. like Sorry, a beautiful... is Endor the one with the ocean? With the yeah. ocean, yeah. Okay. Uh, different moon of Endor, still the Endor system. It's a whole thing. Um, but like, I thought <laughs> okay. that was a really well done fight and climaxed really well. Yeah, and I, then... I, I loved how Leia killed her son in that scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it was it was personal. It was a well choreographed fight. It was well shot. But then like the enormous fleet lightning battle with like a million Death Star lasers and just like CGI flying everywhere. I'm like, this is, 
the exact opposite of this. This is just like no personal stakes, just too much of everything. And that to me was like totally overshot the mark. And I just like you couldn't plot wise, but yeah. like I wanted the movie to just like end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing for the third act that really set me off was. You know, like we talk about, if you think about any of these things too much, it's all going to fall apart. But if you think about like anything in the third act, it's going to fall apart because, first of all, n- nobody should have been able to get to that place. Yep. Yeah. Or, or all or those leave. people on the planet. <laughs> yeah, like, like those like Sith like yeah. soccer fans. Yeah. <laughs> um, like the idea who, that who it's they? like every star destroyer has a Death yeah. Star gun. It, like, when every star destroyer is fully staffed. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. Like so I've, I've heard a lot of those complaints. I've like this is actually one of the podcast episodes where I've had time to listen to a lot of other podcast episodes and I'm doing my best to like keep it my own opinions but a lot of those complaints I've noticed and when people say them I'm just like I don't I don't fucking care and that to me is I think what we I think are doing pretty well and I hope we can continue doing is like we could do a two-hour podcast yeah. of just nitpicks with the Rise of Skywalker, <laughs> but I think that there are many overarching things, thematic things that right. are more interesting <laughs> to think about. I, well, yeah, I, I just like I love the idea of going to like the Sith planet, and that's just like all of those little things are just so not what I expected to yeah. find there. <laughs> so I think there's a whole other element of where people and we talked about our relationship with Star Wars in the um the whatever retrospective mm-hmm. podcast and i was the one who was like i'm probably the least star warsy fan like i came into this very late at life and i think a lot of people do put star wars at this right. very late at high... life you're like 25 <laughs> you know what i mean like I... okay fine. <laughs> um where like a lot of people they put it on this pedestal and they treat it as you know like almost like a, a bible like the mm-hmm. the text the, one of the greatest achievements in cinema and everything like that and while i appreciate that stuff i just don't care about it mm-hmm. enough. So a lot of the things that kind of make this more of just your run of the mill sci-fi film, like, or make this more Marvel-y or whatever, like, I just don't care because I don't really care about this property in that same way. Oh yeah. Fair. <laughs> and, wait, and before we move on, I, so the idea of the cohesion and the planning that went into this, I think another big part of the movie that we sort of like have to discuss is that I think one of the things they clearly set up to do is that seven would be Harrison Ford's movie, eight would be Mark Hamill's movie, and nine would be Carrie Fisher's movie. David, you ruined my transition. I was going to say, let's talk about the elephant that's not in the room. Come on. R.I.P. Sorry. Yeah, Yeah, no, continue. Yeah, I mean, so uh, it was nice that Harrison Ford came back in in that scene on Endor, but that was so clearly set up to be a scene between Carrie Fisher and Ben Solo. I think a lot of talking about panic, like I think they just like were scrambling in this movie in a lot of ways. And one of the ways they were scrambling is I think one of the things that was planned out ahead and set up was this idea that Ben would be in large part redeemed by his mother and that Leia would take on this role in this movie of very similar to what Harrison Ford and Luke Skywalker and Mark Hamill did of like, you know, she was the like the mentor slash parental figure to both Ray and Kylo Ren and their relationship to her would be sort of one of the undergirding things about this movie. Obviously, Carrie Fisher passing, devastating in many ways. Her, us not being able to see that version of The Rise of Skywalker, I think was not, I mean, her life is obviously way more important, but like that 
is one of the many sad reasons um, that it's that sucks that she's gone. Yeah, and it's important to like if we're not talking about this film in a vacuum, it's important to acknowledge that you can you can tell where they would want to have Carrie Fisher things. Yeah. And mm-hmm. this might be really charitable, but you could argue that maybe with Carrie Fisher here, they don't even need somebody like Palpatine and Kylo Ren becomes this much more significant threat and the whole film becomes about Kylo's redemption. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas you really can't thrust the whole weight of this film on Kylo's redemption because all you can do is get Harrison Ford, who maybe didn't even necessarily, like they didn't know for sure that Mm. they were going to get him, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, he was there for a day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What did you guys think in general about Harrison Ford's inclusion? I mean, I liked that. I thought, again, in a vacuum versus in context, in in, I thought that was a really well done scene. And, And again, I think I said this on the last episode about Force Awakens, like Harrison Ford and... Adam Driver acting against each other is just nice because it's two very good actors yeah, having a yeah, good scene. Definitely. But I would have just loved to see, again, like I th- the overarching theme of the trilogy is Ray and Kylo confronting first Han Solo, then Luke Skywalker, <laughs> and their how they relate to those characters in the past, and then use that as a springboard to move forward, and mm. that. So was clearly supposed to be a force ghost scene with her and uh, Kylo Ren. Yeah. And then the other part of that is that at the very end of the film, when uh, Ray finally takes on the Skywalker name, I rolly, but like, you know, it makes sense given the title of this movie and sort of the themes of like abandoning your past and, you know, becoming whatever you are, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that was fine. But to me, it didn't really feel like, Ray had that close of a relationship with yeah. Luke because he was just like a curmudgeon on an she island. She didn't like for a really while. like him at yeah. any point. Yeah. And so then obviously it was supposed to be a ton of this yeah. mother daughter relationship between her and um, Leia. And like she was supposed to take on Leia's last name much yeah. more than Luke's last yeah. name. But just without that Carrie Fisher scenes, they just couldn't do that. What did you guys think in general about how they handled the Carrie Fisher stuff? I've heard everywhere from like, oh, it was really great to it was really distasteful to oh, whatever. I, I mean, as far as the CGI and stuff for her, I I think I, I mean, they did the best they could, I think. Yeah. That's what I, they, you took with, the words out of my mouth. They, like, had. they did the best they could. As far as her story, though, like uh, Leia's story, I really like that they included that she had Jedi training. But it just—it was just like another one of those things that seemed so forced in. And yeah, then I was they, like, they, "Oh, okay." They were like, "Yeah, this happened." <laughs> like and she, again, she like fully completed her Jedi training. By the way, talking about <laughs> like what the Force is and isn't, there there were so many ways. And like you know, I mean, the scene that everybody hates in Last Jedi is like the Leia Mary Poppins scene. But like, I think there were so many ways to demonstrate that Leia had become a full Jedi master type person in in correspondence with her character and like the one thing I really didn't need to see was like Leia with a lightsaber training with like a training remote well too bad (laughs) you're gonna get it on Disney plus in 2021 (laughs) uh like that like that to me is like so that's not what her character is that uh, there are other ways to show that she had been trained yeah she wouldn't have been that kind of Jedi yeah and she would have been the baby Yoda kind of Jedi yeah We can't get there. <laughs> yeah, I'm choking random people. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think they did a good job with what they could do. Yeah, I was surprised by how much she was in the movie. Yeah, me too. Given yeah, how presumably I will say, little they had. Speaking of like rewatchability, like I think that it will become easier to 
like in the same way that like I don't know if you felt this way about like watching rewatching Rogue One like it bothered the CGI Tarkin and Leia and Rogue One bothers you a lot less on second watch because you know that it's coming and I think watching yeah. The Rise of Skywalker the first time every time she came on str- screen I was a little taken out of the movie to think about like all right how did they shoot this like yeah. what was the scene in force awakens that they use this from like i was definitely actively thinking about that and now that i sort of know where everything's gonna fall i think i'd i won't be as over analytical about it and was the cgi and like the in her jedi training was that like purposely like really bad <laughs> I mean, I think it was supposed to be like kind of dream sequence. Yeah, I like, couldn't tell yeah. if it was like supposed to be like sort of animated. It like... was also in like the low. It's uh, it's share lighting, which yeah. <laughs> if you've seen any movie that shares been in recently, it's like do <laughs> you like if you just like light it's everything really cut. low lighting and shoot from a distance, you don't yeah, have to it, worry about it, what people look like. like <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it was just one of the it, they used the same technology that they used to like make Robert Downey Jr. young in which Civil by the War way yeah. sorry that looked horrible yeah no it does not look <laughs> yeah, good yeah, they, I don't know why they de-aging, do it even like the, that Will Smith movie I've only seen the previews for it but like oh, I saw that looks horrible Man, yeah. like yeah I mean have you seen Irishman no. no mad distracting super distracting I, think they, like, I, I thought Samuel L. Jackson and Captain Marvel was great though Really? Yeah, I didn't, but, I didn't but I mean, it's that. also Samuel L. Jackson. Like, that guy doesn't look 70 or however <laughs> yeah, old true. he actually is. It's one of those things where it's like, I think people think that people are really proud that they invented de aging CGI. I don't think it's as good as they think it is yet. Well, it yeah, maybe will one day. Be. It's, it's one of those things that there's like first and best, and we're not yeah. at best yet. We're just well, at first. It's like the prequels where it's like, they're like, look at all this stuff we can do. And then you look back <laughs> and you're like, all right, you weren't doing it well. You were just able to do yeah. it. Or like, we can or like add the stuff to the old film. movie. <laughs> In the 2000s, early 2000s, when they were just making shitty 3D and they could like, you know, somebody stuck their hand out and be like, whoa, wow, yeah. I'm yeah. wearing plastic glasses. But now they perfected it with Spy Kids decent. 3D. Yeah. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> the under the underrated tenth Star Wars movie, Spy Kids 3D. <laughs> yeah, I I think the Scott the the thing at the end too. Like, I mean, I think the internet nitpick with it was like, oh, Leia doesn't have any connection to Tatooine, which like is that I think even is, a nitpick though? No, no, it's a real thing. To me, my sort of like movie fan criticism is like, and this is in a lot of films, not just Star Wars films the inability of movie studios to trust audiences to like make a very basic leap. Yeah. If they had cut, if they had literally just cut that scene, them being like, like Ray, like what's your family name? And she like looks smiles. And then they cut to a wide shot of her looking at the twin sons. Like, Everyone will get it. Yeah, she doesn't she have, to have to say, say <laughs> Ray Skywalker and like make it horrible. How else <laughs> like, would she have? How else would they have ended it with the name Skywalker though? You know. Yeah, well, it's like, <laughs> and even still, you're like the only one of the three of them. She like was actively close with the Han Solo. Like, the, I mean, it's the uh, like the Inception ending. It's like ending movies on ambiguity can be really successful and still provide closure, but studios know that there's going to be seven year olds watching this, and so they're like, well, she has to spell it the fuck out for everybody. Like, yeah. Also, something I guess that I didn't like about her saying that was throughout the entire movie, I was like, okay, they keep saying this is the end of the Skywalker saga. If Rey's not a Skywalker, we can see more of her in other movies. And at the end, they said that she was a Skywalker. And I was like, uh, this well, is, does I, that I, mean I, I can't? The they don't rise put, of Skywalker, right? I, I think that they want to put uh, 
Finn in other movies. I Did you see the interview with him where he was like, I don't want to do anything if it's on Disney Plus? Really? <laughs> he's oh, like he's funny. like, I'm not getting Disney Plus. John Boyega's the more like <laughs> uh I think he's like the most like fanboy of the main like Daisy Ridley is like a real actor. She's gonna be in like Oscar bait. Like Oscar Isaac has already been in Oscar oh, bait. John. Like, it's not a real actor. <laughs> John no, Boyoga is fantastic, but he also you can tell he clearly loves He's the person you could most there. clearly see taking the sort of like Mark Hamill route of like this is going to be the thing that I do. Like, yeah. um, but I would say so. Two things I wanted to ask you guys about. One, did you feel like they were setting it up that Finn was maybe force sensitive? That so was a concept that was very unclearly delivered. I didn't delivered feel on. it until they said it in like interviews after the movie. Okay, so I mean the one line because <laughs> that where was, I was also like, something that was like vaguely set up and not delivered in Force Awakens. Yeah, and I I definitely picked up on it when he was like I, I feel I can yeah, feel it. So I was like, oh, way. he's Force sensitive. Yeah. I had no idea that I don't know if you've read the interviews with JJ, yeah, I did. but I had no idea that that was the thing that he was gonna tell Ray. Yeah, it. We have no reason to think that. Why? Wait, that was what he was gonna tell. Yeah, Ray? Yeah. I, yeah. He okay. So wait. So this is another thing. All right. I I had no idea what that was. Also, what what would you tell? You'd be like, I, I was think so I'm confused. Force sensitive. So, so, yeah. so, so like, know. he was dying. He thought he was about to die. He thought Ray was about to die. And the last thing that he wanted to say to her was, I think I'm force sensitive. Look, man, I, I'm not I getting, know I'm what not getting angry say. with you. I'm getting <laughs> putting, putting a small pin. Why would you um, do that? We, we need to talk about one major unaddressed part of this that I think gets into the larger thing of a lot of the inter-character relationships in this movie I felt yeah. like were very not fully realized like we did not get to the end product of what I wanted in terms of closure between many of the main characters if not all of them okay. um, that being said I so I had a minor spoiler for this movie because I watched SNL that weekend before I had seen Rise of Skywalker and so on, on Weekend Update they said something they made a joke something along the lines of the Star Wars franchise surprised fans uh, by featuring the first gay kiss in the saga. And so, but they didn't say who it was. So I, w uh -huh. before watching the movie, was like, first of all, I was like, oh, dang, I got spoiled. And then I was like, wow, like. Is it Poe and well, I was like, Finn? they're going to make Poe and Finn kiss. That's awesome. Like, and then like the whole movie I had, like, I didn't even think of it as like, will they, won't they? Like, I was like, oh, at some point. In the film, oh, no. Poe and Finn are going to kiss. <laughs> you know, I actually had a similar thing. I, I heard also yeah. that there was like a, a gay kiss. And I was like, oh, maybe maybe Poe and Finn are going to kiss. And that's what he's well, going to tell Ray. And then I was like, when they were all the like Carrie Russell scenes where they like set up like sexual tension with like uh, Poe and her. I was like, wow, that's awesome. They're making like Poe like a fully openly bisexual character. Like that is <laughs> so progressive for like... <laughs> Disney like that's so cool no. and then at the end and it's just like that random lieutenant and you're like I was just like because it was one of those things where the rational person in me would not be like oh it's Disney they're not going to make Poe yeah. and Finn kiss <laughs> going into it but because I had that like incorrect spoiler it then was like oh wow they are going to do this <laughs> and then I was so much more disappointed when they didn't what, you weren't fulfilled like, by that Oh, yes. I felt so seen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things that, like, if they didn't, like, make a huge big deal about it, then it would have been fine. But then they just do this bat packing. Or you just have to, you have to tell thing. little gay girls and boys that if they, you know, one day could be uh, in a cutout of a Star Wars movie in international markets. Yeah. <laughs> Savage. Before but, I saw the movie, I saw an interview with Oscar Isaac where he was like, 
he was responding to like the the Finn Poe thing, and he was like, "Oh yeah, like we wanted to do that, but like the Disney overlords said no." So, so wait, so one another thing that somebody else said to me that I was like, I did not interpret it that way at all. Somebody was like, "Oh, it was really creepy that Lando was flirting with Naomi Aki." I don't think anybody can interpret what like I've seen so many. I thought that was fully paternal. He's like, "Oh, do you want to find out where you're from, kid?" Like I was like, "Oh, that's such a nice." I can't tell if he was actually trying to find where she came from, if he was hinting at that he was her dad, or if he he was flirting with her. And I I, like I don't know which one it was. Yeah. Regardless, it's one hundred percent a setup for like a backdoor pilot. Yeah, exactly. Like animated or comic book or otherwise. Naomi Aki, you're gonna do a but. And and I felt like yeah, like she's unknown enough that you can shove her on Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah, like you could, and you could see them starting a, uh, I mean, maybe even just a spinoff movie. But like, uh, you know, Finn becomes starts Jedi training. Naomi Aki finds her family, and Lando's kind of like the hot Han Solo mentor character. Like, first of all. I would watch that. That sounds great. Yeah. I mean, let's be clear. I would watch anything. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm um, a piece of shit. Yeah. And then they could always do, like, it would be like the classic thing where, like, you know, they'd, like, have Daisy Ridley in, like, one scene and it would be fan service in that sen- uh, sense. But, like, yeah, I, I just felt like, overall, I felt like a lot of, speaking of, like, of things that were set up, like, oh, poor Kelly Marie Tran, who, like, I, the character of Rose, <laughs> I think, in fairness, was a, not fully realized character but to me the like the answer to that isn't like well we're just gonna cut her out because you know racist fans don't like her yeah um instead like i would rather be like oh let's complete her character arc in this movie did you see i i don't know how accurate it is but did you see like the writer's response to that no that's bullshit i don't think yeah i don't think that that's a real they just they just said like oh we were planning on having her in so many scenes like being like leia's rock back at the base and we just like she has no relationship and now we can't do that yeah Yeah. and you couldn't see that's what i i have no idea where things stand between poe and finn yeah between finn and rose between finn and ray yeah the one thing we do know is the worst part of the entire fucking movie, which is uh, Ray and Kylo Ren kissing. Yeah, that was... So, I mean, everything up until that point was fantastic. I actually like him sacrificing her, her... You know, all yeah. of that mm-hmm. was great. They look at each other. They look like they have at, at least sibling affection, if not romantic affection. But when they kiss, I was like, that is so unnecessary they should have hugged they should have tenderly embraced like some sort of hint at maybe potential romance but why would they kiss yeah well, they've they've, the, they've <laughs> shown nothing to make us think that they have any sort of romantic also bro you murdered your dad yeah like who, who was like one of ray's mentors so like why yeah. would why would yeah. she be so i also, agree that part was horrible well and it's so funny because i'm glad i'm on the record with our last episode of because i said this in our last episode where i was like they're such good actors i love and want them to continue doing this idea that they can be so closely tied together and closely intimate and connected, but not in a boy likes girl sense, which I, again, they fully did set up 99.9% of the way. (laughs) And then they kiss at the end and you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll see like a an Adam Driver interview in like a month or something where he's like, oh yeah, what you didn't know was Kylo Ren's actually never kissed anybody and they promised off screen that they were going to kiss each other before the, before he died. Well, so what... <laughs> what oh, Kylo what, Ren, what, what, one of my, what one of my sisters said, which I was like, this is horrible, is like, 
it was like not necessarily a romantic kiss. I'm like, they kissed on the lips. Okay. Like <laughs> I heard that too about the Finn and um Rose. And Rose kiss yeah. in The Last Jedi. And I was like, that's horseshit. What what, what well, who yeah. kisses why, why people they, on the yeah. yeah, no. And again, it's like it just so smacked to me of just like fan service of the worst kind where it's not, hey, let's have like Again, I'm not anti fan service. Like, I think a lot of the fan service in no, both this movie you're and anti bad fan service. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I think good fan service essentially says like, "Hey, we're going to like essentially like hit your you know dopamine receptor by saying like, let's look at this character doing this thing that we love them doing in a new sense, and is almost always consistent with their past actions." And fan service that's just hey, somebody on the internet wanted this to happen, so we're going to give it to them, is never good fan service. Yeah, and that's right. what the... Look. But, like, who was even asking for this? Yeah, like... They've I know never there are Raylo supporters. But, yeah, Raylo. But that's the thing. It's like, it literally felt like... Uh, and I have joked joked about this before, but, like, it felt like J.J. Abrams was like, shit, I got to write this movie. And then, like, <laughs> opened up Reddit... Put to, picked up like 12 thir- fan theories was like I'm gonna do all of these I don't even have to be selective with which ones I choose and that was how The Rise of Skywalker was written yeah so I have just one other question that I wrote that I wanted to ask you guys um, what were your thoughts on Mark Hamill's role in this I like don't even remember what his scene was yeah <laughs> so she like goes to the the hermit island yeah and she's like burning everything and she throws the lightsaber into the fire and then he catches the lightsaber oh, which yeah, should be yeah. impossible because he's dead and then then kind of just basically is like here's all this shit that you're gonna use to get to exegol did you like his inclusion I, again that's when i say i don't remember like i bear like yeah i honestly can't <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah like i feel like the the yoda scene in last jedi and even the harrison ford scene in this movie were both like really memorable, like force ghost scenes. Well, I, I I do remember the the catching of the lightsaber yeah. and throwing it back, and that seems like a very Luke Skywalker thing to but do. I just, like, like, don't even remember what they talked about. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't really remember what they talked about, but it was probably uh, Luke Skywalker just being like, "You're an idiot. Go yeah. do go do this. You can do this." Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah well, then he rose a. Uh... X-wing oh, the X-wing. Out of the I remember that now. Yeah, I did. I, however, that to me that was fan service that worked. Like not necessarily Luke doing it, but like Ray recovering and using Luke's X-Wing, I'm like, I'm on board for that. That's great. Like, I, just, I found it, I mean, I guess other than Yoda, um, but this was one of the first times in the series where a Force ghost actually can do, do tangible things. things, yeah. which makes it completely, like the loss of a character completely I mean, there was, there was so much Force creep in this movie. There was teleporting, yeah, there was healing, there was like, It's hard you know. to do, be, yeah, because especially like, if you like ever read any into like the EU and the things that they can do with the force and that, like it's all, I mean, if you, you've seen the flash in the TV show, like he's also, he's able to run at the speed of light, but he's also able to get punched in the face by like a random criminal. It's just one of those inconsistencies where they can, Jedi can sometimes travel through time, but also they can't do these things, and they can do things as Force goes sometimes. But they, it's just so pl- it didn't bother it, you. It's just a no. It was just okay. a plot device in that same okay. way. Okay. Did yeah. any of the Force creep bother you? Any of that stuff? No. It just bothered me in the sense that it undermined like, like I felt like we really got back to basics in the Last Jedi in terms of like the like Yoda on Dagobah scene of like that's what the Force is. Yeah. And then to like to me like we finally. We had the best articulation since Empire of like what the Force is and yeah. why the Force is cool and interesting and not just a like video game energy source. Yeah, 
And then this was just... Yeah, I mean, I did like the Skype enhancement stuff. Like, I, I like the teleporting through the Skype, and I assume that's only yeah. because they're dyads, whatever the yeah. hell that is. But um, I think the one scene that I think they did really well was the shuttle scene on whatever planet that was. I think that was a moment where a lot of force was being used, but successfully in terms of the plot and the characters. Oh, the space shuttle. So, yeah. yeah okay. So no, that was Ray sick. and Kylo Ren both battling over this shuttle and Ray losing control a little bit and not realizing what she was doing. Like, mm-hmm. I think that fit their characters was like clearly two very strong people doing a thing we hadn't seen before, but also was consistent with sort of what we knew. Yeah the force kind of what what the parameters were um and also did not i mean i think part of like when the force is a vehicle through which like the plot characters interact in a sort of way that is like larger touches on larger themes that's good when the force is just the device that advances the plot forward when it's destroying all the star destroyers in the sky with like lightning like that's not a good use of the force if you ask me yeah uh uh, speaking of the lightning in the third act i think the only thing in the third act that i liked with the force was um like you were talking about like working with the relationship between ray and kylo when she passed the lightsaber behind her head and he caught it and then started fighting the knights of ren that i loved yeah See, yeah, that to me, I was like, at that point, teleporting things had already been established. So I was like, yeah. the, the boat's up the river on that one. It's funny because, <laughs> J, like, JJ, I actually think in Force Awakens, the two of the most memorable Force use scenes to me were stopping the blaster bolt at the beginning and then Ray catching the lightsaber over Kylo Ren at the end. And both of those scenes, I think, were exactly that, where they were characters doing new things, but very much within the realm of sort of like what we already knew the force to be capable of. Yeah. So I want to move on to the Mandalorian here pretty soon. Okay. Do you guys have any final thoughts that you want to mention? Any last Pretty be- Best and worst and inconsistent with the last episode? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Quickly let's do since it. we've touched on a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you start with best? David. Oh boy. Um, I, I mean, I think probably the best scene to me was uh, the, the shuttle scene. I think that that, was a cool cool and well-constructed action scene that also advanced character in a really interesting way. Um, we're seeing, like, I think, hands down the uh, Ray-Kylo Ren kiss at the end. Okay. <laughs> How about you, Ian? I, it's not like a scene, but just the relationship between Ray and Kylo, um, besides the kiss, obviously. I, I really loved everything. Like, whenever those two are on screen or speaking with each other, I... Love all of that. And the worst would probably be just Palpatine's plan. It didn't really, like, land with me. I don't know. It, I, I, I didn't, if you I, can explain to me what it was, let me know. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it was, like, essentially he, he wanted to be reborn into Rey's body by having him kill her. But no, like having her kill him. Yeah, yeah, having, yeah. yeah, having, yeah. having her kill him. See, which, also, which just, like, didn't... I, I don't know why that was a thing. It just seemed so out of left field. Yeah. Real quick, and I promise this will be quick, but in keeping with my bringing a lot of the EU into our conversation last time, 
at like one in the morning last night, I was reading random Wikipedia articles on my phone, like you do. Um, (laughs) And one of the things I had forgotten, but then remembered was that um, in the EU, uh, one of the main antagonists of like the kind of later uh, expanded universe novels are the Yuuzhan Vong, which are this alien species that comes from another galaxy and basically like pretty much decimates like half of the galaxy. And it's revealed through some of those that one of Palpatine's kind of like overarching goals in creating the Empire was that he had foreseen that the Yuuzhan Vong were coming and he believed that the Empire needed to be uh, needed to unite the galaxy as a way to protect like our galaxy against the Yuuzhan Vong invasion, which is like a really interesting wrinkle to Palpatine's character. Right. Which like is like the perfect example of like that. I mean, you, there would be a lot of hoops you'd have to jump to to bring something like that into this canon. But like that is a way more interesting way to bring to advance Palpatine's narrative than just like, He's back from the dead and he wants dark side zombie power. <laughs> like, <laughs> but like he he also sucked the life force from Kylo and Rey. So I was confused on like why, like yeah. what did he want? Like well, he's... so I think, and I mean, I don't really want to defend this, but I think it was he realized that they had a dyad, whatever that is, don't know. But apparently that was enough to give him the power to come back fully. Also, oh, okay, so he threw the other plan out the window. Yeah, he was like, fuck that. Yeah. I don't have to be in a girl's body. I can just okay. suck yeah. up all this energy and be in my own sexy Palpatine fucks body. Yeah, okay. Which also okay. is okay. like, I think they they came so close without actually saying the word like midichlorians in this movie. <laughs> but like, I think like, and well, you can talk about the Mandalorian, but like, Force healing as a concept isn't like the craziest thing. Like I'm so not necessarily it's in against video games, that, right? And like, yeah. the I'm sure, outer yeah. EU shit. Like I'm not yeah. against it as like being in the movies at all. But like this movie, it very much was presented as this like transactional. Like I have X amount of life force to give you. Well, I it totally, was, but then it wasn't. I totally picture like the Princess Bride of like the like thing where they take like ten years off your life in the torture machine. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like that's like when like Ray's healing Kylo. I'm like, I, that was like twelve point two years of her life, like <laughs> or like thirty thousand midichlorians were transferred. Like it felt so like transactional. Yeah, in a yeah. way that again, like the force, like isn't and shouldn't be um but and again there were ways to do force healing in a way that wasn't presented so clinically like that yeah yeah. well so my favorite scene was definitely the fight on like endor's moon or whatever i just thought that that was a really raw fight and i always really like how aggressive Mm -hmm. both daisy ridley and kylo ren play or like how they fight i think that's really cool so that was just a fun scene it was yeah beautifully shot well done and all the character moments were actually great too. My least favorite scene was definitely the like continual here. We're going to show that there's some stakes here and then we're going to completely take away these. Oh yeah. That was so bad. The main, the main one. Yeah. The main one I was really annoyed at is C3PO. Didn't really care about the Chewbacca one because that happens in all movies especially Marvel movies. And like, if it doesn't bother me there, it can't bother me here. But the C3PO one was like, there's no reason for him to, get his thing back like and the way that they presented it is oh just looking at my friends one last time i i thought that was actually it was kind of sad and it's It's like like, it's nice to give anthony daniels something to do but that whole sequence also felt like 
so it felt like a video game scene, like a mission out of like Knights of the Old Republic, where it's like you have to get this thing, but then you have to take the thing to the translator, and like yeah. you need to have this power up. Like I it mean, felt so <laughs> video gamey. Like I mean, the whole the whole dagger being able to see exactly that, that whole thing, yeah. the specific wreckage. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's very. It was, reminded me of Aquaman, where they have to like look into a bottle. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, well, um, with that, that is going to be our review for. The awesome. Rise of Skywalker. Let's move on to our point two section where we'll be talking about the Mandalorian. Is the world more peaceful since the revolution? It is a shame that your people suffered. Bounty hunting is a complicated profession. They said you were coming. They said you were the best in the Parsec. Would you agree? So I've had Ian on before and we've talked about The Mandalorian a little bit in a point two section. I think that was around episode three, Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. So David, why don't you start us off? What are your general thoughts on The Mandalorian? And then we can get more into specifics. I'll Wait, say that- um, Episode three of the podcast? No, episode three of Mandalorian. Oh, I yeah, was like, yeah. <laughs> you talked about it two years before it was invented? Like, <laughs> yeah, we met with our friend John Favreau. <laughs> yeah. Uh, overall thoughts? Yeah. Love it. Like I- and and a big part of why I love it is that it is so self-contained in the Star Wars universe. Like, it's exactly what I want any of the standalone movies to be. And I love that it's so serialized as, like, like they fully leaned into the idea of, like, we're going to make a TV show. Yeah. Every episode is going to be this little thing. Mm-hmm. It's going to have this fun guest star. It's going to be fun. Like, I, I think it reminded me a lot of solo in the sense of like there was cool action and cool scenes but it like doesn't take itself too seriously it's not very consequential right yeah. like well and just like that they're uh, they're able to have these like you know intense high stakes scenes and then also have jokes yeah which i think is like what you want out of a star wars tv show right yeah <laughs> Um, and I think every, I mean, I think everything, every episode has been, I, it's, it's interesting cause it's like, I feel like pretty much every episode to me has been kind of in the like BB plus range, but giving me eight BB, BB plus, eight? yeah, <laughs> giving me eight <laughs> B plus episodes. You thought that was really funny. <laughs> it it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, like, you know, to me, that's an A yeah show like is like if you can just like solidly like produce some good shit for me i'm happy yeah it's it's like just a solidly entertaining show yeah Yeah. it's like you don't really have to think about it too hard you don't have to watch it too hard you just look at it and you're like that feels like star wars check the characters are interesting check they actually gave you gave it a budget so it doesn't feel like it should be on the cw check like (laughs) 
everything about it just works well. And I think it has a lot of, and again, like going back to sort of, I think much more so than anything else Disney has put out, it feels like the original trilogy. Yeah. And one of the ways it does that, and again, this goes back to sort of my, the way I like to think of myself as a Star Wars fan, where it's like, it's enjoyably flawed as well. Like there's some like, pretty bad actors in it <laughs> there's some like really corny lines Jeez, yeah. yeah there's some um, bad writing you know baby points. yoda looks like a puppet like <laughs> he looks like he's out of rudolph the red-nosed reindeer it has, like, like stock <laughs> baby sounds yeah it, exactly it's like i love uh-huh. that it's i love that it's great in the ways that it's great and i also love that it's like not good in the ways that it's not yeah. good <laughs> like it's, the fact that you're just like that's amy sedaris in a bad wig <laughs> you're like i'm on board <laughs> yeah i i remembered the first couple episodes watching it i was like i was expecting something like prestige tv because we're yeah. in the era the golden era of tv everything is prestige and that's what i was worried about i was like i'm so worried they're gonna make this game of thrones like yeah. and i'm so glad that's not what they did yeah i mean i think they could have made a good star wars game of thrones prestige thing but this one is so different it just feels fresh and it's almost in that way doesn't feel like a tv show to me it feels like a saturday cartoon yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. somebody well made it's serialized a it's a serial and a, and, a, and that's like what is so beautiful beautifully throwback about it yeah yeah and that, you don't get those anymore. And, yeah and that to me is like one of those things where i'm like it's like a kid that doesn't study or like this coming out at the same time as rise of skywalker you're like lucasfilm like you know how to like take really unique and like cool concepts and execute them really well and not be afraid of making this like tent pole everyone has to be happy thing so why did rise of skywalker happen yeah i will say though that like there's nothing in mandalorian that's particularly daring so you know if you compare it to the last jedi the last jedi has a lot of daring things that have actual consequences here everything is so self-contained but it's not like it's not like they're killing characters left and right or like yeah. it's not like they're mm-hmm. it's not like baby dota baby dota it's not like baby yoda dies in See, episode five I, I would actually say that i think baby yoda was like a huge risk like people could have been like this is the worst thing that's ever happened to star wars really <laughs> and, like yeah and, and i don't like, know he's so fucking they cute. could have seen that I, as like an ewok jar jar continuation like of just like this is bastardization to appeal to kids mm, like yeah. and, and frankly i think that's that's kind of daring is they've had these like pretty it is one of those things where i'm like what really is the audience of the mandalorian and frankly it's like it's 20 something white boys like so we're all like we loved it but yeah. like um you know it's like it's not like baby yoda you would think is like aimed at kids but like it, there's are some pretty brutal fight scenes that like are definitely not aimed at kids i i think and, like, though it is also just not necessarily aimed at kids but aimed at both like men and women yeah. around our age that just like to see things yarp and like sure and yeah. be fucking adorable yeah oh like, yeah i mean it's like it's fully like again not to compare everything to marvel but it's like somebody saw baby groot and was yeah. like we gotta do one of these like, yeah <laughs> yeah and now there's like the baby sonic for the sonic movie do you see that oh no. really yeah like they just have been releasing pictures and like a short trailer of sonic as a baby Oh, really? Well, I mean, even like Baby Dory in Finding Nemo, like everybody loves, or Baby Finding Dory, whatever. It's funny because it's like, uh, another thing that I think like very heavily influenced it was Detective Pikachu. And like the fact that Baby Yoda doesn't talk was like, at least for me, like I hated Pikachu in Detective Pikachu, (laughs) but like all the other Pokemon I thought were like really cute and likable. 
but and I think not making them able to communicate is a big part of why they yeah. were cute. And yeah. like I think Baby Yoda like perfectly hits that happy zone of being like not quite pet, not quite character, but in a really like effective way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like it. So let's talk a little bit about the finale or the last couple episodes of do, the Mandalorian. Do you want to leave? Uh, do you want to leave? So do, Ian, you haven't do seen you wanna it. Give us your thoughts, and then if you want to leave or close your ears or whatever. Well, <laughs> I guess the only thing that I wanted to say about it was it's not specific to the ending of the show, but just that I am fully on board with Star Wars being in TV show form on Disney Plus. Like I. I feel like I have been enjoying Mandalorian and been getting more invested with the Mandalorian as a character than I have been with most of the movie characters, just because you get to spend more time with them. Like, I'm so excited for the Obi-Wan series, getting to spend more time with him because he was already my favorite character in the prequels and getting to spend like, I don't know, like six hours with him or seven hours with him sounds fantastic. And then I also like binge watched uh, the animated Star Wars Rebels, and I feel the same way about those characters now. Like, I, I like them. Like, I, I didn't like Luke that much, and I feel like I like those characters a lot more than I like Luke now. <laughs> See, I actually, a lot of why I like The Mandalorian is, like, why I'm pretty, and I love Ewan McGregor, and, like, I'm sure it'll be fine and I'll like it, but, like, it's kind of why I'm not excited for the Obi-Wan series. It's, like, I'm just, like, can we please... Let's stop doing the thing where we... Let the past die. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like if Mandalorian has showed us anything, it's that you can make a really successful Star Wars story that has little to no connection with the rest of the Star Wars universe. I think Rebels, Mm -hmm. initially, what, like, having, you know, like, Darth Vader be, like, kind of a minor character in Rebels, like, Mm -hmm. I think that was fine. A lot of where I got annoyed at Rebels, and, like, this goes to my, like, macro issue with Dave Filoni, is, like whenever they brought somebody from Clone Wars back into Rebels, I'm like, this is deeply unnecessary. Like, I'm happy with... Like, Rex didn't need to be there. (laughs) I actually really... I'm, like, a little bit of a Clone Wars hater, and so, like, that... But, like... I like Ahsoka in that show. Well, so, as as soon as Ahsoka came back, and and I'm told, and I haven't seen the last couple seasons of Clone Wars, and I know that those are allegedly the ones where it gets good. Oh, I hated Ahsoka until the last season. I hated Ahsoka initially, and then I was watching Rebels... And as soon as Ahsoka showed up, I was like, oh, why? When she like, starts to like just learn that the Jedi are not what she thought they were, and she starts to yeah. go out on her own and learn her own relationship with the Force, it's, it's pretty She's cool. like Anakin's Padawan, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. And her initial characterization is just like the most annoying. It's like this- Bubbly. Yeah, this very heavy-handed, like, Anakin was a rebellious Padawan who now has a rebellious Padawan, and it's like- Oh, he, she was just the worst, and and then she shows back up in Rebels, and you're like, why are you back? Like, <laughs> she's um, she's so fun in that though. All right, well, <laughs> um, and then even like, I mean, I, I guess spoiler alerts for Rebels and Clone Wars, but like Darth Maul coming back is like the epitome of just like it was. There was a cool character that people liked, so let's just stick him in the new thing, like, yeah. Yeah. and like this is now building to a spoiler for the finale of. Mandalorian, so Ian, Ian, you Ian. haven't seen episode eight. Do you yeah. want to step out? Yeah, yeah. All right, <laughs> goodbye, Ian. <laughs> All right, so now we can have some fun. Ian is gone. Uh, yeah, so episode yeah, I hate eight. So Ian. No, I'm just <laughs> seven and eight were the only ones that had felt like they weren't serialized. It yeah. was almost like. Breaking up a final a finale. Episode. Yeah. Loved episode eight. 
I I actually really liked, and again, like talk about like making bold choices. Like I liked that they didn't necessarily introduce the quote unquote main antagonist of the first season until the second to last episode. <laughs> like, yeah. well, he was in the first episode, wasn't he? He was. Do you not? I feel like. Giancarlo Esposito. I, th- I thought I saw him in the first episode. If he was, it was very minor because yeah, I don't yeah, remember him minor. being in there. But um, okay, so I thought the episode was great. I really loved IG Eleven coming back. I thought like I I thought like I felt like they built really well this idea, this taking the serialized setup and then not hamfistedly tying everything together, but like yeah. bringing characters together in a way that made sense. It's funny because in other like one of the common critiques of like Star Wars the movies is like oh why does everything happen on Tatooine but i think for like what Mandalorian is trying to be i like that they came back to Navarro for the final episode like yeah. i like that it feels that Mandalorian feels like a small world and with a small cast of characters cuz like I, I that's what i want it to be and again the thing i love about Mandalorian is that it had no major connections to the outside series. Yeah, so you 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 talked about this before. I have no idea what you're talking about. What's the connection to the outside series? In the last scene, basically, and again, when I talk about getting 99.9% of the way there, it's like <laughs> the final five seconds of the episode when fucking Giancarlo Esposito comes out of the TIE fighter with the Darksaber. I'm like... No. Oh. Okay. Yeah. What is so that? So this is What's it's a, a stupid saber? ass. It's like one of the stupidest fucking things of uh, Clone Wars and Rebels. It's in. It has a role. It was like it has some connection oh. to the Mandalorian. Well, so part of why it's huge cognitive dissonance, and I'm interested slash afraid to see how they make this connection, is that it's connected to the Mandalorians in Rebels and Clone Wars. But the, culturally, the Mandalorians and like Rebels and Clone Wars are super different from what they've set up the Mandalorians to being in this series like they take off their helmets all the time they're like this weird formalized like almost like monarchy like inheritance system like they're just very different from what is being set up now and kind of outside of that like the dark saber is the stupidest fucking thing where it's like <laughs> a it looks horrible in re- live action it even yep. looks horrible in animation and it's like fully like we want people to be able to fight with lightsabers who aren't Jedi. So we're creating this like loophole so we can have lightsaber duels between Jedi and people who aren't Jedi. Mm, and like, yeah. it's just this again, heavy handed, stupid ass thing that has all this stupid ass lore attached. And again, <laughs> I like, I'm a big expanded universe guy. Like I'm not saying like, Oh, it has to be purist star Wars. It's just like everything associated with dark saber is like stupid in my opinion. <laughs> and to draw in that again it was so unnecessary with everything else that has happened in Mandalorian to have that sting at the end yeah and instead it just completely undermines what they've done the spent the entire season doing which is like being like we're constructing this world that's not connected to anything else and to be like oh no it's fully and significantly connected to the other two main Dave Filoni projects is like it's it's like Wedge Antilly showing up in Rise of Skywalker. It's just like this. You just like had to fucking do this because you can help yourself. Like, <laughs> okay. oh. so as somebody who had no idea what that was, yeah. I was just like, oh, OK, that looks an awful lot like a lightsaber. I think even yeah. my brother was like, oh, wow, he's got a lightsaber. And I was like, no, it's a laser sword. Yeah. <laughs> and so 
didn't mean anything to me, but um, interesting. So now you think that that means that this is probably will tie into the Clone Wars and things like that? It just means that there's going to be, and again, I, I genuinely don't know how they're going to reconcile two very different portrayals of Mandalorians. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just means that it just means that it's connected in a way that it wasn't before the appearance of that thing. And it just does, like, does that mean, I mean, obviously Saw Gerrera can't show up cause he's dead, but it's like, it's like a, so like, it's just like, yeah. it just brings so many questions into it of like, like if season two is them like ham fistedly putting the Mandalorian's plot line into the larger, like, Jedi Sith Rebellion Empire context. That's like exactly what I don't want from the Mandalorian. You don't want it to be hamstrung by all the stuff. I don't want it to fit in with everything else. I want it to stand alone on its own. Yeah, I agree with that. I want to. I want to just mention two points before we bring Ian back in here. Uh, One of the things I really liked about this was that you got to see just two stormtroopers just like talking to each other. And the final finale was directed by Taika Waititi, so you get that classic humor from that i thought that was hilarious perfect i would love to just see more of people living in the star wars world yeah so that was great and i think that's exactly what a tv series gives you sort of room to play with and like and that's like a beautiful there was like an old series called troopers that was like a lot along i haven't seen it but my understanding is that that was like a nod to that it was basically like a cops parody but like with stormtroopers oh okay i would watch that (laughs) yeah but like so it's like i love I love that that's a nod to that. Yeah. And there's like a couple other things like uh, in the series that like have been these like kind of like cultural nods to other Star Wars, but like keep them Easter eggs. Don't make them essential to the plot is my point. And yeah, that was really good. I, I there's so much that I like, I, I think like the IG battle droid is just like one of the coolest action sequence things that has happened i think it's so speaking of like actors that aren't that great like i i think i tweeted this before but like seeing carl weathers in like a role (laughs) after you've watched arrested development is like totally head spinning and you can't take him seriously at all but he's (laughs) like kind of this goofy character you're not really supposed to take seriously anyway so it's it's like it kind of works um yeah, it's just there's a lot of it's just a, it's charming. It's like a super charming series is how I describe it. So the other thing I wanted to talk about a little bit was him taking off his helmet finally. So you actually do see that at least for that one scene, they got mm-hmm. Pedro Pascal to be on set. <laughs> uh, I don't know how much. He, I'm sure he does a lot. Like it, it's a physical I'm sure performance. A lot of so stunt doubles. Yeah, but. I- I feel like he's still on set. You know, yeah. it's not like he's just, oh, I'm just going to do the voice work and it's just body double the entire time. I, I imagine um, they probably have him in the suit for a lot of the dialogue scenes and have stunt doubles in for a lot of the action scenes. It's probably yeah. about how it's divided. But I thought I thought it was a good reveal and it was nice to see him and to see that they're not opposed to waiting like three seasons to yeah. take his helmet off and stuff. And, and I, I like his I hate droids thing. and Which is a, a, a thing established like that was established in the like EU canon is that like Mandalorians historically hate droids. Like, and that's to me, that's a perfect kind of nod Easter egg thing where it's like, you don't have to make a huge deal out of it. But like, that's a thing that was like in Knights of the old Republic was like the Mandalorians really didn't like droids. They just have this cultural distaste for droids. Like, um, a little heavy handed that they're like, Oh, it's like, it's cause like a droid killed his parents, but like, <laughs> uh, like very like jaws, like a shark, but killed my family. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I also liked, um, 
the the reveal like he was he's this kind of like doofy looking guy like which yeah, i think he's is an like, underdog like mando gets his ass kicked a lot but he also and i think they really find this balance really effectively where like he's does like especially in the uh the prison break episode he's like a really badass warrior fighter but then he also gets his like ass kicked by the mud horde sometimes yeah and so like <laughs> i think like the reveal of Pedro Pascal and what they like sort of made him look like. I think they could have made him look much more like warrior E, mm-hmm. but I think like it was a good choice to sort of be like, it's this guy. He's a badass. He has armor. He's trained. He's a good fighter, but like ultimately he's just a guy not to, you know, borrow from the prequels, but it's like, he's just a simple man trying to make his way in the universe. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I, I thought, and again, I think one of the things that Mandalorian does really well, going back to the Ray Skywalker thing, is like they leave a lot unsaid and trust the audience to draw their own conclusions, which is, I think, a really important part of making the series uh, something that the fans are really engaged with and invested in because it's not all spelled out for you. Yeah. So good show. Really excited for season two. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> Hopefully it's not too long until that comes around because otherwise it feels like Disney Plus is kind of a waste of money, but whatever. <laughs> um, all right, let's bring Ian back in here. Sounds good. crazy that baby yoda is ray's second cousin welcome back uh thank you yeah so (laughs) this has been our review of star wars episode 9 the rise of skywalker guys it's always a pleasure uh we're kind of out of star wars stuff to talk about for the foreseeable future uh i have to watch rise of skywalker a couple more times and like let it sink in so like i'm i'm gonna be happy for (laughs) as much as i love (laughs) star wars and i'm always down for new star wars i don't don't mind a little break. <laughs> yeah, but we'll we'll have to come up with something for both of you guys to come onto the podcast again for yes. sometime soon. I could endlessly talk about most things. So yeah. all right. That's fair. David, is there anything you want to plug your podcast? Um my New Year's resolution is to put out episodes run your mouth more often. So <laughs> uh stay tuned for, for coming out episodes of those. Um and just, you know, take care of yourself. Treat yourself well in twenty twenty. Have a good New Year's. <laughs> yeah. What well, about you? Ian? That's a lot nicer than mine. I was just going to plug my Twitter. But, <laughs> yeah, but what's your uh, Twitter? So, so happy New Year's, I guess. Cause Ian I has have a good Twitter. That. He's very funny on Twitter. I mostly just retweet stuff. <laughs> it's uh, I Anderson on Twitter. Uh, the O in Anderson is a zero. Nice. All right. The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work on incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's Movie, M-A-R-A, pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on Podbean at MovieMarathoners.Podbean.com. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing and any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening and we hope you'll join us again next time when we run through what's going to be TBD. <laughs> January is always a slow month. So I'll see what I can draw. Oscar up. bait? Yeah, maybe. Uh, until then, bye. Don't you know that you're a grown up? 
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) No.